Awesome. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 10, and this is where we left off last week. I do want to briefly, just because we only had about two minutes on the last two chapters, point out just one more detail for us to discuss though on chapters 8 and 9. So as you're turning over to Matthew 10, um, I want to talk about just one, one important theme that we just skipped over in the last two chapters in 8 and 9. Um, so on your handout, you'll notice you've got a uh, couple of different um, couple of different people mentioned there in different passages. So as you walk through chapters 8 and 9, you see all of these different people here. And they're not the um, cream of the crop, I guess you could say, in terms of the Jewish uh, stigma, right? You know, you've got a leper, you've got a Gentile centurion, a paralytic tax collector, you know, who Matthew refers to himself as. And remember, Matthew's written to Jews, and he is trying to drive this point home that Jesus is the king. He is the Messiah. He is that Christ. And he's writing about uh, 20 years after, 20 to 30 years after at most, but more like 20 years after. And he is trying to show these people, hey, the one you guys just rejected, this one is the king, right? He is the real king of Israel. This is the one you should bow your knee to. And so in light of that, right, he's shown how this king is not just some distant king, but he has come, he's been among the people, right? And he's even walked through the difficulties they have, even to the point of bearing those things on himself, right? And succeeding where they failed, fulfilling all righteousness on their behalf. And in addition to that, we saw last time some of the commandments of the king, right? How he interacts with um, the crowds and ultimately with his disciples, right? What he's calling them to. Um, this is who you are, right? You are the poor in spirit, the needy, right? And guess what? That's a good thing, right? Because yours is the kingdom of heaven, right? And the, these reversals and also showing the real heart of the law, right? Um, what it really means to love God and love others and how that applies in all of these different areas of life. And now as we walk into chapters 8 and 9 briefly, I just want to point out how all of these people who are more despised, right? And that's the first blank on your outline there, who are usually despised. Um, so these, these different lists of people who are usually despised but are healed or called. That's the next blanks on your outline. But are healed or called. Healed in the case of most of these, called in the case of Matthew the tax collector. By Christ through faith, right? That's the last Last blank on your outline here. What we see is that a lot of these lower class, quote unquote, people in Jewish society, or even Gentiles, right, are exhibiting more faith. And really, that is what Jesus is after, is those who put their trust in him, those who see their need for him, right? And those are the ones he's ministering to, right? And so a discussion question for us as we open up today, um, why does God often choose the despised that's the next blank on your outline there. Why does God often choose the despised of this world? Um, why does he often go to them, right? Not that he doesn't always pick the rich, but why does he often go to the despised? And to kind of zero in on this a little bit more, could I have one of you uh, pick up for me Matthew 9, verse 13? Matthew 9, verse 13. And then, thanks, Dave. And then um, someone else, if they could get 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 31. It's a, it's a longer section. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. Thanks, Kurt. Appreciate it. Awesome. Dave, you ready? Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, Matthew 9, 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
Awesome, thank you. This is not the last time we're going to see this phrase, by the way. We're going to see it again in Matthew 12, 7, and we'll dive a little deeper into that, that I desire mercy, not sacrifice, right? And they're affronting him for sitting with tax collectors and sinners, right? Why is Jesus doing this? Um, well, he makes it very clear, as Dave just read. He came not to call the righteous, right? Those who have no spiritual deficit, those who have everything together. No, he came to call sinners, right? Those who are poor in spirit. Um, Kurt, if you've got... 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the, word of the, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by doing, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Awesome. So based off of these two passages or other passages that may come to your mind, what, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Why does God often choose the despised of this world? Eric, I would say one thing I was just telling the guys in yesterday at the class that uh, the common thought of the first century Jew was that the Messiah came to bring national deliverance, hmm. only Israel. Hmm. But Christ apostles ministry uh, demonstrated that he was the savior of the world mm -hmm. which would include the despised and mm -hmm. people that the religious people wouldn't have anything to do but Christ would have everything to do mm -hmm. and so I think that has a claim mm -hmm. yes I, th I think it's just very uh, convenient for us to overlook but just absolutely every blessing that any of us that we own is given to us by God. Mm. And so, so here Matthew speaks of a lot of people who don't seem to have very much, mm. but they've got the greatest gift that God can offer. Mm. Yeah. So it seems that the world view 
been very similar that the things of the world are what matters mm. and people have the wrong idea and they think that their wisdom is what's going to get them somewhere but the people that are despised and have nothing they're always discounted mm. so God uses the things that would not be used by the wise of the world to prove how foolish they really are <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, the, the, the Pharisees were the elites of that time, and this is like Jesus saying, hey, look who I'm calling, it's not mm. you. Mm. We're going to get to some in-your-faces with the Pharisees in chapters <laughs> 9, 10, and 11, 12, so yeah, <laughs> yes. Yes. Excellent, excellent point there. I mean, look at the centurion, for example. He is um, wealthy, right? You know, he, he's a man who has means. He, he's a man with authority, too, right? You know, we've been talking about authority. Uh, if you look, just glance back at chapter 8, um, he says in verse 8, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed, right? So there's this massive faith that he has. Um, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. Do this, and he does it, right? <laughs> and notice Jesus' words here. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith, right? So there is, and, and to Pastor Jerry's point earlier too, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, right? People from all over the place. Well, the sons of the kingdom, right, the Jews, will be thrown into outer darkness. And that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? It, it, there's, you know, that poverty of spirit, right, versus the people who have it all together. And you could be rich and be poor in spirit, right? You could be um, poor and you could be fine in, in spirit and very proud. And that's very possible. So great, great point there, Reuben. Any other kind of final thoughts? Yes. Yeah, I just, we stopped at 1 Corinthians uh, 
verse 2, 4, and 5, and my message, this is, this is Paul, obviously, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I think that probably sums up the whole thing. That's a great point. Excellent. Awesome. So what we're going to see now in uh, moving over to chapter 10 here is, is the king is actually going to delegate his authority now to the disciples. Um, so he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority, right? Um, so we've got that um, authority being given now um, over unclean spirits and cast them out to heal every disease and every affliction. Right, and he lists the name of the 12 disciples here. And notice with one of them in particular, he highlights something, um, namely himself, right? Matthew, the tax collector, right? He is just very upfront with um, this rejection of the Jews, with these people the Jews didn't like. Hey, you know, and, and he's not hiding it, right? He's not trying to appeal to the Jews' cultural sensitivities, right? He is very clear, hey, I was a tax collector, and all of these other people, they had more faith than than you guys did clearly, you know, as, as Jews. And so he's very, very upfront with this. Um, and he says, go nowhere among the Gentiles, right? And enter no town of the Samaritans. Initially, this message is going out to Israel. It's going out to the house of Israel um, initially at first. We're going to see that transition next week where, where the message goes out broader. But right now, this is zeroing in on the Jews, right? To the Jew first, even as Paul says, and then to the Greek. Um, and as you proclaim saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. So they're doing things that Jesus was doing, right? So this authority is being delegated. They're going out and they're, um, and they're actually doing a lot of the similar principles that we saw in the Sermon on the Mount as well. You receive without paying, give without pay, you know, and, and you see the manner of life that they're living as they're going out on this mission. It's very minimal. It's very focused, right? Um, it's very focused. They're commissioned with authority and they're also commissioned um, to kind of walk in a way that is not about things of this world, but about the Lord, right, um, ultimately. And this is, again, you know, descriptive, not prescriptive. Doesn't mean we can't have two tunics, right, when we walk around, or I don't even have a tunic, you know. It's <laughs> but all that to say, you know, this is just describing what happened. But there are some good principles for us to think about, too. You know, that priority on proclaiming the word, right, to people. That's what matters most. And all these things will be added to us, right? Um, so don't worry about all those other things. Make your main focus on honoring the Lord. Um, notice, too, um, you know, if the, there's kind of a distinction being made, too. Remember uh, what John was saying, that he, there would be this distinction between the wheat and the chaff, right? Um, kind of these different separations that would occur. Um, so here, they enter a house and greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you, right? If anyone will not receive you, shake the dust off of your feet, right? There's kind of this separation being made now between light and dark, right? Um, those who receive the word and those who don't need it, right? Those who, who understand their need and those who don't, right? So we've got this separation starting. Um, and truly, I say to you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. That is, those are strong words, right? Think about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? These are you know, the whole town, even down to the last young man, was knocking on Lot's door, you know, and we know what they were trying to do. And it'll be more bearable for them on that day than for these people who saw the power of the kingdom, right, and his proclamation going out through these disciples and rejected it, 
That, that is, that's some powerful stuff right there. This is something I want to zero in on though for our lives in um, this next section. And I'll go ahead and give you the blank and we'll kind of fill this out a little bit more as we walk through. So um, the blank on your outline there is the kingdom citizen can't expect to be treated like their king. The kingdom citizen can't expect to be treated like their king. Notice what happens here. He's sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And he, commit, and he says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts, flog you in their synagogues. You'll be dragged before governors to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And don't be anxious what you're going to say, right? Because um, the spirit of your father will, will give you the right words at the right time. And notice what, what happens here in verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death. Father his child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, right? But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is, this is tough stuff, right? This is hard. Even that last prayer request we had where family members, right, can turn against you for trusting in the Lord. Um, maybe you guys have been through that before. Remember, you can expect this, right? This is being treated like your Lord. He was treated no differently. And he's just going to continue to bring that point out for us here in, in this passage. Uh, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So part of this is not just speaking to that present circumstance, but future as well, right? How, how the gospel is being proclaimed ultimately, like we'll see in Matthew 28, over the whole earth, right? And so going to all these different towns um, before the Son of Man comes, right? That is a big part of this commission. And we can expect right here that persecution, right? We can expect to have that. Um, in this world, you will have tribulation, as he says in John 16. But take heart, right? Because uh, we know what he has done. He has overcome the world. Here we have a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master, right? It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. They have called the master of the house Beelzebub. How much more will they align those of his household, right? We can expect the same type of persecution that our Lord had, if not more. And so, in light of that, have no fear, right? This isn't unexpected. Um, God is giving you exactly what to expect from this world, um, that persecution at times. Nothing is covered that will be revealed, right? All of the persecution you may be suffering in your workplace, with your family, wherever it may be, that will come to light on that day of judgment, right? Keep that in mind. Um, and so don't be afraid to say what is told in the dark in the light, right? Um, you know, if you're reading your Bible in the morning and, and you discover some great truth, don't be afraid to proclaim those things to other people, right? To help minister it into their lives. Obviously, we're not shoving it in their face, but we're speaking the truth in love because we care about their souls, right? We're throwing that seed as we'll see next week, right? And we'll see what type of soil is around. Um, but God takes care of us, right? He brings up about a lot of those um, same principles of his sovereignty and his care um, from the Sermon on the Mount to bear here, right? Do not fear those who kill the body, cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, right? That is the one who we're really to feel. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, right? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. So fear not, you are of far more value than many sparrows, right? God knows it all. And he, he understands each thing that we're going to going through and 
each um, trial, you guys are, each piece of persecution, whatever it might be, is measured through his hand, right, on your behalf. And he knows all of it. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Right, again, you know, on one hand, he has brought peace to this world, right? Um, you know, peace on earth, goodwill to men, the angels proclaimed. But on the other hand, sometimes on a zoomed-in level, it sure may not feel that way, right? Maybe you guys have experienced this in your lives, where you're going through life, and it's hard, right? All of a sudden, there's all these conflicts that are coming up because you're the light shining in the darkness, right? Because there's that distinction in who you are. And in light of that, remember, it's all expected. Um, do not think that I've come to bring peace to this earth, not come to bring peace but a sword. I've said a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. person's enemies will be those of his own household. And mark this too in verse 37. Again, this doesn't mean we should not love our father and mother, right? It just means that our love for the Lord should supersede our love for our father and mother, right? Um, we need to have a greater love. And guess what? We're going to be able to love them better because of that. We're going to be able to love them more, more truly, and actually care for their soul, right, as we love um, God more fully. Um, but if we love the things of this world or the people of this world more than the Lord, guys, look at what he says here. Um, we're not worthy of him, right? And whoever takes his cross, guys, sometimes we've that fam familiar term of cross, but this is an instrument not just of death. It is a torturous death, right? Even death on a cross, as Paul further states in Philippians 2, right? This is a horrible death. This is a self-degrading you know, death, right? Um, are we willing to go through that? Have we already died, right, um, to this world, to the things of this world? Have we already taken up our cross and followed him? But if you're not willing to do that, um, you're not worthy of him, right? This is, these are just hard things to consider, but think about it. Um, we, we need to be able to understand, right, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Um, recognizing true life is in Christ, right? It's not in the things of this world that never satisfy. It's not in all the things that we talked about last week on the Sermon on the Mount, right? It is truly found in Christ. And if we found Christ, we've, we've got everything, right? We have it all. Um, but, yeah, I, I want to just take a moment and stop and also, re remember to the rewards, right, that we will have. Um, so, you know, even for helping missionaries um, or helping others who are engaged in gospel work or engaging in that work ourselves, right, God won't forget those things. Um, he will give us in due season that reward, right, um, in light of um, what, um, what we have done. He knows each thing, not only the trials we're going through, but also the good things that we're going through as well. Um, so a discussion question for us is what do you expect from this world, right? What do you expect from this world? Do we expect to just live a comfortable Christian life, right, and to be able to sit back and have our, you know, picket fence and just, you know, enjoy um, the good life? Or do we expect these very things that um, Jesus outlines for us here in chapter 10, right? The, the difficulties, the persecutions, the things that do come into our lives oftentimes, and sometimes we're surprised to see them, right? But what do we really expect from this world? I think this is one of the times where age gives us a perspective. Hmm. Because when I was younger, I expected it to be the first. Hmm. And now in the world I live in today, it is the latter. Hmm. And that has changed in 
our lifetime. Mm -hmm. That is so true. And, and the other thing that's so important is to, to know the scripture. Mm -hmm. we, we so often don't know that scripture. And just exactly what you said, you know, I wouldn't, I would love to go back for many reasons, but for the wisdom that you acquire and understanding what life is really about, mm -hmm. it's crappy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just really is. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of fed this thing like it, like took a hint that everything's going to be wonderful. And it's such a disappointment if you don't have the word. Mm -hmm. This is so valuable. Mm -hmm. We, I, I only can speak for myself. I just didn't, ha I didn't know this stuff. Mm. I didn't know it. And, it. and it's really a disservice mm. to the young people. Mm. Reality is painful. Mm. But when you have the word, oh my goodness, what a blessing. Mm. It's like balm. It's like a salve. Mm. It is Awesome. I mean, it's just, if, 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 you know, to teach your kids, yeah. Hmm. If you look at statistics, what percentage of the population is Christian now and what percentage was Christian yeah. in the 50s and 60s, I think hmm. that tells the story. Hmm. Now, maybe we weren't good Christians, but at least we went to church and we read the Bible in some churches, and I think that drove our society and as people fell away from the church more and more we fell deeper and deeper into basically the hell that we're living in now mm, yeah. and God has allowed us to walk away um, he's left us over to our baser instincts and we are living the results of that mm -hmm. and even Christians that go to churches now I mean I've got I've got an old friend, my oldest friend, you know, he thinks he's Christian, and I'm not so sure. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. He's a form of Christianity, but I don't think he's following Yahweh, and I don't think he realizes that. Mm. And we can't even talk to him about it. Can't even talk to him about it because they're so proud mm. that they're Christians. Mm. I even mentioned, uh, you know, not everyone who calls me Lord, 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 mm. the kingdom of heaven, mm -hmm. you know, I will say to you, away with you, I never knew you. And they're mm. like, well, I'm sure he'll be the first one, you know, the welcome. I, I said, do you mm. want to be well done, good and faithful servant? Or do you want to be the, be gone, I never knew you? Mm. And they were certain that they would be the first. Mm. And yet, I don't think so. Mm. And that's a good question to ask. If you're yeah. asking the question, you're on the right path. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Because I know me. I know yeah. me. <laughs> yes. And he knows me too. Hmm. Yeah, I know better than my friend. But I believe differently than he does. And that gives me more grace. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we live in it and it's all about me world. Hmm. And for a Christian, it's all about him. Hmm. It's not all about me. So we are an offense to them. 
And when Jesus said they hated me, they're going to hate you. That's mm. exactly the world we're living in. Mm -hmm. oh. Yes. You know, and that's why he mentioned that he is the rightful owner of our supreme affection. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't hate our family members, mm. but our family members must, must not be the owner of our supreme affection because mm. if they are, we are set up for compromise. Mm. And our Lord knows that the fastest pathway to apostasy is through relationships. Mm -hmm. And so if I love people that are dear to me, and I do, I cannot give them what rightfully belongs to my God. I have to mm. be obedient to the greatest commandment. Mm. And that's what Christ was saying. And he said, because of that, you can anticipate that even family members, mm. the people that you love the most, will come against you and want you to compromise in order to maintain a relationship with them. Mm. Yeah. And it's very difficult. Mm. I've, I've been through it, Cindy and I, family members, other people we've counseled, mm. where all they need to do is compromise and love their family member more than Jesus. Mm. And, mm. But you can't, mm. because we have that great commandment. So it's, mm. you can, you're right, you know, and this, the scriptures are right, you can anticipate that there's going to be, um, you know, this conflict mm. with people over your discipleship with Jesus. Mm. So, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Kurt. I think the biggest problem that the world has is, at least right now, is the rejection of absolute truth. Mm -hmm. That keeps a person from understanding reality mm -hmm. because their reality is what they see and what they've made it. Mm -hmm. If there's no absolute truth, you don't even have a starting point. Right, right, right. So, you know, we, kind of, we discussed that in the Forge on Friday a little bit. Mm. But this is truth, and this is the only place you're going to really find reality. Mm. Mm. And, you know, I, I understand my brother's concern here because I had a friend that was in that same situation. Mm. And I had a conversation with him, and it came down to, well, brother, if tonight was the night that you were to die, would you be in heaven? Mm -hmm. Now, he sounds like his friend would answer, absolutely. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's what he said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My friend said, well, I hope so. Mm -hmm. And I said, brother, that's the wrong answer. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not sure, because the Bible tells us we can be sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and the problem that we have today, all of us, is we sometimes want to go by our emotions mm -hmm. when we need to go by the Word of God. Mm -hmm. yes. God said, tells us what we are and mm -hmm. who we are. Mm -hmm. We're not what we feel like a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. And that'll bring us out of it sometimes. It does me mm -hmm. to comprehend that, no, I'm not what I'm feeling right now. I'm mm -hmm. a child of the King. Mm -hmm. Awesome. We know what happens when we go along with our emotions, right? And we also know what happens when we go along with God's word. And yeah, just seeing that difference and 
taking stock of that now. Also with the synagogues too, if you were a Jew and you rejected Judaism, you didn't just lose your family, but you lost your entire community too. And that may be the reality here in America before we know it as well. And so recognizing that, and we can expect that type of persecution as well, so. Mm, yes, yeah, absolutely. And I like when you were reading, he said, you won't run out of places to run to before I come back. Mm. Now I'm paraphrasing, but that's what yeah. I got. It. So it won't be that we'll be totally abandoned and, and everywhere we go we'll be hunted. No. There will still be places, maybe North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> there will still be places to go yes. before Christ comes. Yes, and this is one of them right here, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, he said, I will build my church, and we're going to get to that in, uh, in two weeks. But yes, you know, this is, this is one of them right here. And we need that coming together to be encouraged. Yes, amen. It's awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, we've got uh, two more chapters here. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and continue on with chapter 11 here. So um, in chapter 11, um, we see, uh, first of all, we see John kind of bringing up a question here. Um, what, what is going on, you know, with Jesus, right? He, he's here to make this great separation, right? Wheat and chaff. He's, he, he's here to baptize with fire, as he said earlier, right? Um, with the Holy Spirit and with fire, right? So the Holy Spirit for those who are the wheat, the uh, fire for those who are the chaff. You know, when is this coming? You know, and John is in prison hearing about the deeds of the Christ, and he doesn't hear about many forest fires or anything going on, right? Or, you know, the... Um, Rome being overthrown or any of those ideas that you do see, you know, throughout the scriptures, right? Daniel 2, you know, the stone that no uh, hands have cut is crushing all of these kingdoms, right? When are these things going to happen? It's Daniel 7, the son of man reigning on the throne. Hey, when is this all going to take place? And so John is in prison and he sends his disciples over to, over to Jesus and says, are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? Well, Jesus, in, in response to this, he... Um, he brings up all of these deeds of the Messiah. And notice he says, hey, go and tell John what you hear and see, right? The blind receive their sight. This is something only God could do. Only the Messiah could really do. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, right? He raised that rich ruler's daughter um, back in uh, a couple chapters ago. The poor have the good news preached them, right? Um, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So, you know, is he, is he, first of all, he's very clearly establishing, hey, I am doing everything the Messiah said, um, right? Everything the Old Testament scripture said the Messiah would do. And I will finish the job as well, right? But obviously for us, it's easy to see the difference between the first and the second comings, right? It's almost like, uh, just a quick analogy, it's almost like if you're driving out west on I-70 in um, Kansas, and you finally get to Colorado. How many of you guys have made the trip before? So, so a few, few of you have. So you, you know how it is, though. You're looking at that um, line, and it's been this for, you know, eight hours, right? So um, the joke in Kansas is you can watch your dog run away for five days, and then you can go get him. But anyway, um, so finally, you know, as you're getting into Colorado, finally you can see like a little... A little blimp here, right? You know, maybe maybe like another one, and it, you can start to see a few things right off in the distance. Um, and then as you get closer and closer, right, um, as you pull into downtown Denver, you've got more of like, okay, the big mountain here, another one here, 
you know, another one here, and you can see this, you know, Mount Evans in the background. You can see which one's nearer, which one's further. You can see them a lot clearer. Well, this is kind of like uh, walking through the Old Testament too, right? The Old Testament scriptures that they had. You know, they could see all these events were happening. They just didn't know what happened when exactly, right? You know, Daniel did prophesy, hey, the Messiah is going to come in this time. But hey, the distinction we have between first and second coming, that wasn't as clear back then. And Jesus, he's clarifying, right? And you see this a lot in the New Testament. You can see in Revelation, okay, this happens, and then these things happen, right? And, you know, then the rapture, and then all of these, you know, tribulation, and then, you know, his second coming finally. And so you can see those things clear. And so Jesus, you know, obviously you can see his positive words for John here. He's not affronting John. He's just clarifying for him, right? I am the Messiah. You know, wait. You know, be patient. And we're still in that phase too, right? We can be like John sometimes and come up to him and say, when will all these things be made right? You know, and uh, hey, be patient, right? Remember that he is the Messiah and that he demonstrated it fully, right? You know, every sign was fully showing, hey, this is exactly what he's doing, right? And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. I'd see his ministry and partake in that, right? You know, be those who are sent out by him into this world. And so, obviously, he, he speaks to John and who he was and the goodness of who he was, right? Um, and he is the one, um, the Isaiah 40, you know, who will prepare the way for the Messiah. Um, and look at this statement. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet look at this. The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, right? Um, so for us, guys... We are given a special gift, right? Sometimes you think, okay, if only I were this person from the Bible, right? Um, then, you know, oh, if I only had the you know, faith of David or whatever. But remember what David did as well, right? You know, they're all sinners, even John the Baptist, right? Um, but the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, right? We have the Holy Spirit. We have a gift that they never received, right, fully. Um, David, he had the Holy Spirit for um, the purpose of being the king um, and you know, in a special manifestation there. In Psalm 51, he prays that that would not be taken from him, right? But we don't have to pray that way. We have the permanent indwelling of the Spirit. And those who are least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than even the greatest prophet, right, in that time. Thinking of ourselves that way, right? The blessings that we have in Christ. Um, so all this to say, he is that Elijah who's to come. Um, and he is that one who is bringing this message. And again, this is showing his current audience, not just who John is, but who he is, right? He is the Christ, as we're going to get to next week, the son of the living God. Um, versus this generation, right? There's this downward spiral with this generation. Um, they are wanting us to kind of do whatever they're indicating, right? That's what the Pharisees said. Hey, fall into line with us, right? And that's basically what this, this little proverb here is saying. We played the flute for you. You did not dance, right? Hey, we're tithing mint, cumin, root, you know, all these different spices, do the same as us, right? You know, this is how we keep the law. This is how we, you know, are so meticulous and so honoring to God. But they're neglecting the real matters of the law, right? Loving God, loving your neighbor. Um, so all that to say, um, you know, they maligned John. Um, you know, he's got a demon, son of man. He's a glutton and drunkard, right? Mm -hmm. Friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by your deeds, right? The proof is in what you do. And Jesus has shown, hey, I am the Messiah, right? He has demonstrated that beyond a shadow of a doubt to these people. And then he pronounces all these woes, right, to all of these people. This is the opposite of blessing. This is a woe to all of these people who saw all these awesome works that were done. And again, it'll be more tolerable um, for Sodom and Gomorrah 
on that day, right? Uh, for that day of judgment than for these people who rejected the kingdom. This is, this is powerful stuff. And we start to see that separation even. You know, as John said, hey, he's going to bring that separation. We already see it starting to happen more and more, right? And we're actually going to see that even more as we dive into chapter 12 in a moment. But before we do that, there's just a very important uh, prayer that our Lord gives here. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, right? Like we were talking about at the beginning. Reveal them to little children. Obviously, he's talking about those who are needy, right? Poor in spirit, as Reuben was talking about. Um, yes, Father, such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And look at this call he gives out to, to us, right? Come to me, all who have it all together, right? All who, who've got all their ducks in a row and don't really have any need of anything. Those who are strong, right? No. He says, come to me all who are labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am, who is our Lord, right? How is he? You know, why wasn't he blasting everyone, right, who didn't believe in him and, you know, bringing in the kingdom? Look at who he is. He is gentle and lowly in heart. Right, that day will come, but our king is so gracious. Right? Remember who he was coming and experiencing all of the pain that we did. Right? Who, who succeeded where we failed on our behalf. Right? He is gentle and lowly in heart as a shepherd caring for his sheep. Right? And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Right? If you are burdened, guys in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of all the things of this world, remember who your shepherd is. Remember he is gentle and lowly. Chapter 11 here, that first blank on your outline, the king has come to give rest to the weak, not the strong, right? To those who are needy, those who are poor in spirit, not those who have it all together. The discussion question for us is how does Jesus provide for you in your spiritual weakness? Perhaps you've walk through this in the past, or maybe you are walking through difficulties now, right? And as a Christian, hey, you're constantly burdened and weak, right? Think about Paul's statement to the Corinthians, right? That he was constantly burdened for the churches, right? And he always had this weakness, right? This thorn in the flesh, right? But when he is weak, guess what? In Christ, he was strong, right? Um, so um, what, what about for you guys? How does Jesus provide for you in your spiritual weakness? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a good sign. That comes from a man who isn't, so. Yes. <laughs> Did someone else say something? Yeah, Bill. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we were talking about that yesterday. Like, what ultimate hope do you have apart from Christ? Nothing. What, what can a psychologist give to their, you know, person who's going through depression or some sort of, you know, disorder that they've mentioned? No ultimate hope, nothing. Just cope with it, right? Not so with our Lord, right? Yeah, Pastor Jerry. Um, the Holy Spirit dwelling mm. within us permanently 
That's why Paul could write in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Hmm. So I need the power of the Spirit. I can't do this on my own power. Hmm. Um, and the spiritual warfare, Paul says in uh, Ephesians 6, that you fight this battle with the strength and might of the Lord, not hmm. your own. Hmm. And that's why I get in trouble is in my spiritual weakness, I generally try and fight it on my own. So. Hmm. Yeah, one scripture I love about talking about what the Word of God does is Romans 15, verse 4. It says, For whatever was written in ancient times, that's scripture, was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Hmm. You know, that tells us what the Word of God does for us. Hmm. And I love where it says what's written in ancient times. These words written so long ago were written for our instruction. Hmm. That when we persevere and we, um, you know, persevere through this stuff and encouragement the scriptures, we have our hope. Hmm. So we do, we persevere because the scriptures give us hope to persevere. Especially in these crazy times. Hmm. Awesome. Any, any other thoughts? Great. Wonderful. Well, with that in mind, uh, we're going to go and turn over to chapter 12 now. Um, chapter 12. So um, here we're going to see some, some big themes. I'll give you that first blank on your outline there for chapter 12. The king is rejected by Israel's leaders. And this is going to kind of fan out into the upcoming chapters, too, where he's going to start speaking in parables, right? Um, there's this difference, right? This was an offer of the kingdom. It goes out, and it's rejected by Israel's leaders, right? But we're going to see also it's rejected by other people within Israel as we get further and further into Matthew. Um, but first here we see the king is rejected by Israel's leaders, right? Those who were stewarding for the return of the king. It's almost like Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you guys have seen or read the books or um, you know, seen the movies or whatnot, but um, there's this steward in Gondor, right, Denethor, and he's, he's ruling over um, this land of Minas Tirith. And Gandalf, he comes in and he says, authority was not given to you to turn down the return of the king, right? And um, obviously the steward doesn't like that and says, this ruler's, the authority of Gondor is mine and no others, right? And, and it's this powerful scene and Gandalf just walks away. Um, but that's what a steward is here for, right, is to, is to hold that place. Israel's leaders should have been there ready to hand the reins over to the king, right? But instead they don't. Um, instead they don't, right? There's this confrontation that we're going to see just again and again in rejection in chapter 12 here. So Jesus, he's going through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And by the way, uh, Pastor Rich brought this out for us um, uh, several months ago, but the Sabbath is so key. To, to Jewish culture, right? This is a central point. Um, you know, after creating everything, God rested and made this Sabbath, right? This is a big deal. Uh, and so they're on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and they began to eat, um, uh, began to pluck heads of grain and to eat, right? And the Pharisees saw it and obviously it's against their, um, you know, the tradition around the law, right? This hedge they built um, artificially, right? So the judge, not least you judge, you know, that's the real um, intention of this is like, hey, if you're going to make all these extra judgments, those are going to be applied to you. God's judgments will always be applied, right? But um, guess what? These two will be to you as well. And this is one of them, right? That you can't even grab heads of grain going through a grain field on the Sabbath because that's work. 
you know, and they have all these fastidious rules around that. But anyway, um, look at your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. That not lawful is according to their laws, not God's, right? It's according to their judgments, not God's. And he said to them, have you not read what David did? You know, whose side of this are you really on? David, one of your heroes, right? Remember, he was one of the three big names we put up here. Um, and David, when he was hungry and those who were with him, he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or how about the priests themselves, right? On the, uh, you've read on the law on the Sabbath how the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless, right? God understands the Sabbath is meant for people, right? Not for um, just rigorous, um, you know, fastidious, <laughs> you know, law keeping, right? Um, so he allows these exceptions. I tell you something greater than the temple is here, namely himself. If you had known what this means, here we are back at this phrase again. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. I want to just quickly take you guys over to Hosea 6, 6, because it really helps un us understand a couple of things Jesus is going to say later on in chapter 12. Go ahead and keep your place in Matthew 12 here. We're going to look over at Hosea chapter 6 um, and, and see the spiritual condition of the people during this time, but also what God is going to do. So I'm going to start off in verse 1 of Hosea 6. It's right after, right after Daniel. It's the first of the minor prophets. Hosea chapter 6. Come, let us return to Yahweh, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down that he will bind us up. Notice this in verse 2. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. Sounds familiar. That we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as showers, as spring rains in the, that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore, I've hewn them by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But what is Israel like? Verse 7. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant, right? And they dealt faithlessly with me. So what we see is Israel is in a bad spiritual condition, right? They, they are like this unfaithful bride that has been illustrated very graphically through this prophet taking on a wife of whoredom, right, in Hosea. Yet somehow, even though um, they will um, be struck down by the Lord, they will be raised up again. And just quickly turn over to the last chapter of Hosea, Hosea 13, or actually not last, second to last chapter. So here we see, um, but I am Yahweh your God, right? He, he's calling them away from idols in verse 4. I am Yahweh your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. Besides me, there is no Savior, right? This is the one. And guess what? Guess how far he can go to save. Verse 14, shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? Chapter 13, 14. This is familiar, right? Oh, death, where are your plagues? Oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes, right? So here, 
Israel is in such a bad condition. They're spiritually dead, right? They're spiritually dead. And that is the spiritual condition of these religious rulers too. But actually, we're going to see they get even worse as well. Um, we've only got five minutes. So got, uh, if, you, if you look through some of these um, sections here, he, he heals a withered man on the Sabbath. Um, he is that one who fully fulfills Isaiah 42 here, his servant, that chosen servant with the spirit. And notice the mention of Gentiles in verse 18 too. This is hinting at things to come. He proclaims justice, not just to the Jews, like Pastor Jero is pointing out, but to all, right? Even to the Gentiles. In his name, in verse 21, the Gentiles will hope, right? Um, And can this be the son of David? People are asking because of these awesome signs he's doing. Verse 23, uh, but they attribute these deeds to Beelzebub, right? This is how spiritually dead they are. And, and, And Jesus points out the folly of their argument, right? How can a house divided against itself even stand, right? They can't. They can't do that, right? And so... If Satan is fighting against Satan, his house won't even stand, right? Obviously, he is doing this in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he sees their spiritual condition, right? And in light of that, there's no way out for them, right? They're not going to be forgiven. They're blaspheming even the Holy Spirit. And he shows, um, you know, really for his disciples' sake, too, um, that the tree will bear the appropriate fruit, right? No one has Holy Spirit glasses on, right? None of us do. We can't figure out who's saved and who isn't, but we can look at the fruit, right, that's coming out of a person's life. And sometimes we see that fruit and we're discouraged and it's sad. Well, Jesus says here, that tells you something, right? That, that gives you an indication into where they're at spiritually, right? Your words, things that come out, right? The deeds, um, what type of fruit comes out, right? That shows where this person is at spiritually. And so he says, no sign will be given you know, the scribes and the Pharisees, again, in their hard-heartedness, are just like, prove it. You know, we want a sign. We want you on our time, right? We demand a sign, boom, you give a sign, right? Again, they're trying to just head over Jesus, right, instead of what it should be, the opposite, right? Um, But he says, no sign will be given you except the sign of Jonah in verse 39 here. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Right? There is something greater than Solomon, um, greater than the preaching of Jonah here, and they are not believing. And their spiritual condition in verses 43 and following here is worse than before. Israel's worse off than even back in those days with Hosea, right? Here we see the parable of this unclean spirit here who goes around and then he comes and finds this house empty, swept, put in order, and then goes and brings seven other spirits more evil. And the last state of the person is worse than the first, right? So also will it be with this evil generation, right? They are worse off and they're just going down this hill, right? And so again, Matthew's not shying away from that. He is showing these people their spiritual condition. Hey, if you're still following these Pharisees, this is where you're at. So dead in your sin. But remember what we just read too that the sign of Jonah will be given, right? That three days in the heart of the earth. And guess what? His resurrection is our resurrection too. His bringing forth life brought that power that gave us new life, right? You see in Ephesians 1, that awesome power that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies, far above all things, right? Guess what? 
that power gets applied to us in chapter 2, who were dead in our trespasses, right? But God brought us to life, right? That awesome power that he can work in our hearts. And guess what? That leads us to bear that fruit, right? Those good works which God prepared before and that we should walk in them. While he was still speaking to the people, his mother and his brother stood outside, verse 46. But he replied to the man, and he said, Who are my mothers and brothers? Stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Guys, that is how it is here, right? We are the family of God right here. This is, this is our primary family, seeing things that way, seeing that we together are spiritually alive, right, and are shining in the darkness, and we will have all sorts of persecution and rejection. Um, but And this discussion question is how do you handle this rejection, right? Because it's going to come, and it's, it's not easy, right? If they rejected the king, after performing all these miraculous signs, guess what? We, we don't perform those miraculous signs. We just preach the word. They're going to reject us at times too, right? So how do, how do we handle this, right? What are some things for us to sit here together as, as a family, right? How do we, are we going to strategize to handle that rejection? That's that last blank on your outline, by the way. How do you handle rejection? What do you guys think? That's awesome. That's awesome. Yes, Marv? I was just going to say, Look at our society today. Every fruit of all kinds or kinds is rejected by society. Mm. COVID, transgender ideology, truth is rejected. Mm. The ultimate truth is going to get the most rejected. Mm. And as long as you understand that, I mean, we're, we're called to speak the truth. Mm. This is the ultimate truth, mm. and we need to speak it. And you know what? God uses it. Mm. Mm. Amen. We're going to see that next week with the parables. This is a center section. We're going to dive into next week of the five. This is the central one, and we're going to see some some really really neat themes start coming to light here. So, thank you guys for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys. Yeah. Oh, thanks.